this evening, we are going to be uh, just having some meditations from a psalm that I was reading this past week, Psalm number 37. And there are just some thoughts that were just kind of swirling around in my mind, and I think the Lord directed my heart and mind too, and just wanted to share them with you this evening as we close out our Lord's Day with one final service together. Psalm chapter 37, I'm going to read verses 1 all the way down through verse 11, and then we'll kind of address or look at a couple other verses beyond that, but I do want to just look at the first 11 verses at the very least of Psalm chapter 37, a psalm of David. He writes, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee to the, the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Let us pray together. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful to you that you have given to us verses that meet us where we are, that as human beings, we experience so many emotions from the highest mountaintop joyous experience to the lowest valley and the deepest sorrow and pain. And your word speaks to all of those experiences and helps us make sense both of the world around us and even of our changing heart and emotions so I pray that as we just look at several meditations about fretting that you have given in your word, that you would encourage our hearts to remember these truths when we're tempted to forget. And we pray all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. I'm not sure why people enjoy watching horror films. Is there, is, am I the only one who actually wonders that? I, there may be someone in here, and please don't be offended that I am hardcore judging anybody who, who likes horror films, but I don't understand the fixation with some people about watching something that will intentionally scare them. It just makes no sense to me, and I, I'm not typically a very anxious person. I mean, I, I get anxious about people I care about and things like that, but generally speaking, I'm not an anxious person. But one thing I know better than to do is to feed my very active imagination with things like, like people come up with in horror films. And there's a reason why a lot of times when you have little kids, you have movies that you try not to 
show them at a certain age because you know it's going to cause them to be quite anxious, right? I mean, even just one, one show, I think it was an animated one, and frankly, I'm actually blanking in the moment what it actually was, but there was, like a, there was a scary part in one of the animated movies that me and Laura and Benjamin and Daniel were watching, and I just remember Benjamin was kind of getting nervous about one section, and then there was another movie where, where or at least some kind of animated show that, that I came home to, and Daniel comes running up to me and telling me all about this dinosaur that was scaring him in the show. And we, we just have things that, that can make us anxious, right? And horror movies are one of those things. I don't understand why we would do that. But we all do have that emotion of fear at some level. Whether it's from a horror film, whether it be from very real experiences in life. David, of all people, I think, had every reason to be anxious, if we consider it. We are not in the shoes of David in the sense that we didn't have somebody like Saul, searching for us in every nook and cranny, trying to find us to kill us. We don't really have that experience. But for David, that was a very real-life experience. He was literally fretting for his life. He was seeing evildoers around him. And so when he opens up Psalm 37, as he pens this song, he literally writes out, Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Don't be afraid because of the actions of people who are evil. David, of all people, understood what it was like to be anxious. And I really appreciate our verse that we have as our theme verse. Be anxious or, or, or don't have an anxiety for anything. But in everything by prayer with supplic- and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. These are, this, these are the ways we are supposed to deal with our anxieties or our fretting. He also mentions in verse 1 of 37, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Or if you have another translation, it might say something like, be not envious toward wrongdoers. Because at times, throughout the psalm you'll see later, it seems like the wrongdoers are the ones who are getting blessed. Why are they the ones who are getting all the blessing? I thought as we look through this psalm, and you, if you were to read through the rest of it, why does it seem like the righteous are told that they're going to have all this blessing? But when you look at the life that you experience around you, it seems like the bad guys are winning. Why does it seem like they're the ones who are getting all the blessing? David saw that, and I think that he really was asking a question we all would ask. Maybe you're even asking right now. I remember as a... A kid, I was in Boy Scouts, I can't remember if I was 11 or 12, but I was fairly young. And I don't know if this was new or if I was just late coming to the game because I, I, was, I was homeschooled, so a lot of the things that the public school kids were doing, I didn't end up having those toys or things like that till a couple of years later. So I don't know if it came out at this time or not. But I remember in my Boy Scout troop that one uh, Monday evening, we met Monday nights at a Lutheran church, one Monday night, they were all at this table, and they had these little, like, finger skateboards. I don't know if you've ever seen those or not before, but I just, I thought they were the coolest thing. And I was very envious, because I saw, it, it, they were having so much fun. They're using their fingers to, to make all of these cool flips and everything that they were doing. And so I was very envious, because I had nothing like that. And I told, I told my mom and dad when we got home, I was like, could I really get one of those? Could I get one of those? And sure enough, for Christmas... My mom and dad got me and my brothers one of those, but by the time we got it, all my friends had moved on to a new toy. So we enjoyed them with just the three of us. 
But the experience of envy, where somebody has something that you don't have, but you would like to have. These are real experiences, real emotions that we, that we may have throughout life. And the question is, how do you fight it? We know that it's not right to just be anxious and worried. We know we're not supposed to be envious. One of the Ten Commandments is you're not supposed to covet. We're not supposed to be envious of the prosperity of people who are not following God. There are reasons for that. But what does David console his mind and his heart with as he pens a song where thesis starts out, don't fret about evildoers, don't be envious of those workers of iniquity. How does he deal with it? And therefore, how do we deal with the anxious thoughts that may be in our hearts or the envy that we fight every single day? Well, I have five meditations for us this evening as we consider how David fought fret and envy. And he gave, he gave five reasons why we shouldn't be fretting, be anxious, or envious. And here's reason number one, because our focus is God. Number one, because our focus is God. If you look at the first seven verses, notice who always is mentioned when there's some kind of command that David gives. So, for example, in verse 3, the very first phrase, trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give thee desires of thy heart. Verse 5, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Verse 7, rest in the Lord. You can go throughout the whole psalm and over and over again, who is the focus that David has? It's God. It is, and, and you'll notice that often there, it's the covenant name of God throughout this psalm, all caps, L-O-R-D, Yahweh. He's, he's evoking the covenant name of God, and he's, he's commanding people, if they were to sing this song, he's commanding them, trust in and focus on God. The reason why David says, I don't have to worry about whether or not my evildoers who are trying to take my life will succeed. The reason why I don't have to be envious of their seeming success while I'm running for my life is because my focus is on God. Where's your focus? Frankly, we tend to be more like Peter, right? Peter's in the middle of a storm in a boat, and he sees Jesus walking on the water. And I don't know that my reaction would have been this. Maybe yours would have been like Peter's. I don't know that mine would have been. I tend to be more of a cautious person. My personality isn't too adventurous. But Peter was an adventurous guy, and he sees Jesus walking on water, and he's like, that's cool. I want to do that. So he says, bid me come on the water with you. And Jesus bids him come, and he walks on the water as his focus is on the Lord. But then he begins to see the winds and the waves around him, and he gets anxious. And what happens? He begins to sink. His focus was off of the Lord. His focus was on his circumstances. And the end result was that he began to sink because his focus was not on Christ. Isn't that very much like the way we are. When I'm anxious, I tend to be anxious because of circumstances. I'm anxious because something's not going the way I want it to go. I'm anxious because, you know, for fly flying is one I always tell the teenagers. I'm very anxious about flying because I have no control over what happens with the aircraft. 
At least if I'm driving a car, I feel as though I have control in the circumstances. But when I'm flying in a plane, I'm at the mercy of whatever the pilots are doing or, or whatever's going on. I'm completely passive in it. For David, he says, trust in God, delight in God, commit your way to God, rest in God, focus on God, not your circumstances. That's how you fight fret. That's how you fight envy. How does focusing on God take away fret? Well, one, because I think we begin to realize that he is eternal and we're not. So there's an eternal perspective that he has that we don't. Two, I think we understand that he is the sovereign one and we are not. I have no control over my life circumstances as much as I like to think I do. You don't either. But the sovereign one who inhabits eternity has his hand over the circumstances of our life and is orchestrating every detail, as Paul says in Romans, together for our good. So we focus on God because ultimately we cannot change our circumstances. God is the one who is in control of them. So reason number one not to fret or be envious that David gives is because our focus should be on God. But second, he says our attitude ought to be trust. Verse three again, he says, trust in the Lord. Verse five, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. Verse seven, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Over and over and over again, we are told to either trust, commit, Rest in God. Our attitude has got to be that of trust. When we don't trust God, what else can we trust in? What else is there to trust in? Do I really want to place my trust in other people whose emotions change, whose integrity is not near as pure as the Holy One of Israel? Do I want to trust in myself, knowing my own weaknesses and my own sinful tendencies? I think that my attitude has to be that of trust in what God has said, which means when God is saying something, like he says in verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein. Then verse 23, the steps of the good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. All of these things that were assured of by God, how do we know they're true? Because we have an attitude of trust. And a quote that I heard or read, I guess, from, from R.C. Sproul is that our trust in God does not rest in our feeling like he's trustworthy, but ultimately it rests in his integrity because we know that God is ultimately trustworthy. Is that your attitude in life, that you trust God with everything? Number three, not only is our focus on God and our attitude is that of trust, but ultimately our, our blessing is vast. Our blessing is vast Notice what happens here as David talks about trusting in God, having this attitude of trust, focusing on God. What will be the end result? Over and over again, he talks about how the wicked are going to be cut down. They're going to wither away like the grass, etc. But what happens for those who actually obey and trust God? Verse 29, as I read a moment ago, says, The righteous shall inherit the land and shall dwell therein forever. 
Verse 39, but the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble, and he shall help them and deliver them, and he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them. And the righteous man, in verse 16, a little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of the many wicked. Why? Because verse 18, the Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. All of these things that he says, where he uses the word inheritance, 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 it's vast. And in the New Testament, this is something Paul says over and over again. One of my favorite verses from Ephesians is the, is the very third verse in the first chapter. Blessed be the Godfather of our Lord Jesus who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The immeasurable, immense blessings we have that God has given us because of Jesus. I have not inherited anything yet. Some of you in this room may have inherited something from a parent or a grandparent. I haven't really inherited anything yet. But if you read any kind of plots from books, particularly like Agatha Christie books or, or mysteries, one of the things that you'll notice is that oftentimes when somebody's end up getting knocked, knocked off in the story, it's because somebody wants an inheritance early. Here, the Lord is giving an inheritance that is beyond what we can imagine. The inheritance could, could include, as, as we look at this from a Christian perspective, could include the reality of being with God forever, the reality of being with fellow believers in the presence of God forever, the reality of seeing our Savior face to face, the reality of our faith now being sight. And I could go on and on about all of these immeasurable blessings that we have because of Christ. Our blessing is vast. We have no reason to be anxious. We have every reason to trust the Lord, which is why Jesus would say, right? Jesus would say, look, you see God clothing the lilies of the field, and you see the birds. They're not toiling or sowing or anything like that, and the Lord knows what's going on with them, and he's feeding them. Don't you think that he'll clothe and care for you? That's the things we tend to be anxious about, are those practical needs. Where's my next meal coming from? Do I have clothes? Do I have a roof over my head? We have every blessing as a Christian in Christ so that even if I don't have enough clothes, even if I don't have enough food, even if I don't have a roof over my head, nevertheless, I have Christ. And the greatest treasure that you could have cannot compare to the treasure of loving and knowing Jesus. So our blessing is vast. Number four, our future is joy. Our future is joy. In verse 29, again, this is just one of the things that I, I love, is that verse... Uh, Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. Rest in the Lord, verse 7, and wait patiently for him. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give thee the desire of thy heart. All of these things bring us joy. Even if our circumstances in life are, are rough, challenging, painful even, we have a future of joy in being with God, seeing him. And verse, again, coming down to verse 39, the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength 
in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them and deliver them from the wicked and save them. For David, that was literally God saved him from Saul and all the soldiers who were looking for him. For us as Christians, our eternal souls have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And our eternal hope and joy is knowing that we shall enjoy the presence of God. And a verse that Jesus himself quotes from this psalm is verse 11. The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. What a blessing. What a blessing. A future joy that we have in the inheritance that God has given to us. Finally, number five, our reward is everlasting. Our reward is everlasting. You will see again, I'm kind of focusing on some of these same verses over and over again, but if you go down to verse 18, the Lord knoweth the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. Drop down again to verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. God does not save insufficiently. He saves to the uttermost. He gives us a reward that is to the uttermost, that is everlasting, that is eternal, that fades not away, as we read in 1 Peter 1, to an inheritance incorruptible, unfading, reserved in heaven for you. God is eternal. His dwelling is eternal. Therefore, his reward to his children is also eternal. So as we go through life and we have anxious thoughts, anxious hearts, hearts that fret, How can we fret when our focus is on God? How can we worry about the future when our attitude is that of trust in the one who holds the future? How can we be scared about what is going to happen tomorrow when I know my blessing is vast? How do I have to worry, or why should I even worry, about that job when I know that my future ultimately will be joy in spite of the sorrows I'm experiencing now? And how, how can I be sorrowful about my life circumstances now and my reward in the future is eternal and everlasting? That comes from God. All of these things, for me at least, were an encouragement to help me fight fret and envy. And I hope that they'll be the same for you. Let us pray. Lord, we know that In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and in Christ. And I just pray and ask that if there's anybody here who has no knowledge, intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they would be aware of their sins against a holy God and that they would embrace by faith the one who can save them from those sins, save them eternally, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope that we have that even though life may be challenging and even though there may be legitimate concerns that each of us face and have on our hearts even this evening, that nevertheless, if our focus is on you and our attitude is trust, there are so many wonderful, immeasurable results because of that trust. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and help us never to forget it, but to praise you each day for it. For we ask it in our Savior's name, Jesus. Amen.